Today, we're on our second to last week of Hoarders, and uh, we're talking about what are you hanging on that's killing you. First week, we talked about anger. How many of y'all got anger issues? Tell the truth, shame the devil. All right, very good. Thank you. All right, me, I'm putting myself in there as well. Um, How many of y'all, last week, we talked about bitterness. How many of y'all struggling with forgiving anyone? Anyone? All right, all right. Look, see, all of us, all of us need this. Um, Let me just say this as well. If you've not ever been to church before, or maybe you've been out of church for a long time, and the reason why you left church is because everybody was perfect, look at all the hands going up. Let me just say this. If you're a Christ follower, if you have a relationship with God, we know that we're not perfect. And by the way, if you've been out of church, you know that we're not perfect. All right? We may do a better job hiding it, uh, putting on our plastic faces and our smiles, but all of us got junk. You know what I mean? Today, we're talking about something that I got I to be honest with you, I struggle with more than probably anybody in this room. Um, in fact, um, if none of y'all were here this morning, I would still be up here and I would be preaching to myself. I would be over here going, listen, you need to hear this. And then I would come around here and I go, uh-huh, really? Uh-huh. Because today we're talking about something that, this is kind of cool, the Bible. I'm going to give you kind of a... The Bible talks about this command more than any other command in the Scripture. In fact, if you, I mean, if you had to think through this, what is the, the greatest, not, not just the greatest command, but the most repeated command in the Bible? The most cap- repeated command. It wouldn't be, you need to give more in the offering bucket. Some of you, that's what you thought. All right? Some of you thought, you know, God would be telling you, you need to stop doing that. All right? Um, it's not that. It's not love the Lord your God with everything. That's the greatest command. It's not the most repeated command. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not fear. Do not fear. Do not worry. In fact, it's amazing that God told Moses not to be afraid. He told Joshua not to be afraid. He told Adam not to be afraid. He told King David not to be afraid. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, hey, don't be afraid. Now, why do you think it's the most repeated command in the Bible? Because they're afraid. Thanks for coming to One Church. Thank you very much. You know, all of us get afraid, don't we? All of us worry. And amazingly enough, most Americans, their top fear is public speaking. Their second greatest fear is death. The third greatest fear is dying while publicly speaking. <laughs> Hopefully I won't do that today. You know, I, I used to be very, very afraid of speaking publicly, and I kind of got over that. Um, but i got to be honest with you, I'm a dude who has a lot of fears, and I worry a lot. Not about public speaking, but let me just kind of open up the window of my soul so that you can hear what I worry about. Because when I worry... It happens at 2.30 in the morning. And I, I, I'm lying in bed, and my wife, she is sawing some logs and got the drool going on there. I'm just going to say that. And, and I am, I'm like this, and I'm, just, and I'm looking at my popcorn ceiling and uh, wondering why we have popcorn ceiling. And, uh, and, I, and let me tell you the stuff I worry about. I worry about my family. I worry about my children. I want them to grow up, and I want them to be in love with God. I don't want them to grow up like most preacher's kids and end up leaving the church and hating God because 
they're dead. The preacher spent more time with other people's kids than he did his own. Uh, I'll tell you another thing I worry about. Uh, church finances. i can to be honest with you. I hate talking about money. Ask our staff. Nobody likes talking less about money than I do because I feel like many times the reason why people don't go to church is all they think about in their head is that they're just after your wallet, you know. And, uh, but I, I worry about finances. Um, another thing I worry about is burning our volunteers out. Everything that you see up here, people got up here at like 5.30, 5.45 to set up everything. Your children's environments where your children, we just, we just don't want to burn out our volunteers. How many of y'all serve in here? Praise God. Let's give it up for them. Let's give it up for them. Praise God. Um, you know, I, so I worry about, you know, how can we not burn out our volunteers? Um, another thing, and, and this is a what-if game, what if we didn't have this facility to meet in? You know, one of the things we talk about a lot at One Church is we're not about buildings, we're not about programs, we're about connecting God with people. Now, that doesn't mean we're never, ever going to have a building. You know, maybe one day down the road, possibly, but... We're just, as much as we can postpone land and buildings, we want to do that. Because we believe this is what it's about. Connecting God with everyone. Because God says, for God so loved the... That's everybody, right? But i got to be honest with you. We play the what-if game. And, like, back in November, um, like, we got a letter that our rent on this, like, quadrupled. And we're like... And uh, if we prayed about it, we thought through it, and we talked about it as a staff, you know, do we, sh- you know, do we share this with you guys at the time or not? And th- we made the decision altogether, no, we're not going to do that. It's not the right time. Um, and God worked it out, but even though we're not paying what they asked us, they, we worked it down to about 82% more than what we were paying. That's a lot of money, right? So we start thinking about what if, and I start doing it, and I sit, <laughs> I sit in bed, and I just, I worry. And I'm a preacher. In fact, a good friend of mine told me, Chris, you're a preacher, but you struggle a lot with faith, don't you? Like, and thank you. Let, let me punch you in the throat. <laughs> because you know what? I do. In fact, this is what Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says. It says this. Everything that, that does not come from faith is what? Sin. Worry is sin. And I am the chief among everybody. Let me tell you what the word worry comes from. The word worry comes from Vergen. It's a German word. It means to choke, to strangle, to suffocate. And that's exactly what worry does, doesn't it? It chokes us. And we just, and we just can't think straight. We can't think straight. Now let me just say this. Um, I said this in first service as well, but, you know, all the things that I worry about church-wise and all this stuff, God has never, ever given me a reason to doubt him in anything. Give you an example. Um, The missions agency that launched this church, uh, we were the fastest-growing church start ever. Ever. God is always, he has always made himself known to us, and he's always provided, he's always paid the bills. He's always done that. Um, I mean, he continues to allow us to grow, and that's not us. That's all Jesus. And I'll tell you all this by saying, when I'm up at 2.30 in the morning and I worry about all that stuff, my worry isn't logical, right? Because God has not given me any reason to doubt him. His track record is 100%. But when I worry, I forget all about that stuff. 
Anybody else like me? You just worry. You just worry. And what the Bible says and what we're going to be looking at today is worry. Worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. It chokes us. It suffocates us. What is, what is the definition of worry? It's this. Worry, worry is distrusting the promises and the power of God. God has given us promises. He's saying he's all-powerful. When we worry, what we say to God is this. You know what? I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. Now, none of us would say that out loud. We'll go, uh-uh. I trust God. I believe in him. He's in control. But when we worry, that's exactly what we do. What did Jesus have to say about worry? We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, in this hoarder series. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, if you have one of the One Church Bibles, you can start opening, open up to the middle, and you're going to take a right. And you're going to find the very first book of the New Testament called Matthew. Anybody want to know who wrote Matthew? Y'all are so good. Matthew wrote Matthew. That rocks. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And let's see what Jesus has to say about worry. That is why Jesus is saying, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Now, that is why. Well, what is why? In fact, some of your Bibles, it says, therefore, do not worry. And anytime you see a therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. It it makes you, it points back to what he was talking about before. And this is what's amazing, is what Jesus was talking about the verse before 2,000 years ago, everybody in Jesus' culture was worrying about this subject. In fact, fast forward it 2,000 years later, guess what most of us worry about? This same subject. What was Jesus talking about? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. He's saying, you're going to have a two-headed monster. One's going to go that way and one's going to go this way. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, so what is the subject that Jesus is talking about that they were all worried at that time that, to be honest with you, if we tell the truth, shame the devil this morning, you and I are worried about today. And the issue is you cannot serve both God and money. How many of y'all, be honest, how many of y'all concerned about finances? I am, right? In fact, this is what's amazing. I I just did a casual Google search, and this was one of the top ones that came up. Top ones that came up. It says this. March 10th, 2010, a Fox News poll said that 79% of all people in America believe and think it's possible that the economy could collapse. That our economy could collapse. Look at this. Including large majorities of Democrats, 72%. 84% of Republicans and 80% of independents. That's pretty much everybody is worried about money. Everybody. Money. Recession. Depression. Jobs. Raises. Retirement. 401ks. Paying the bills. Providing for your family. I mean, we can't say, Jesus, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. You're my God. I trust in you. And then turn right back around and say, you know what, I'd be a little bit more confident if our economy was doing a little bit better. We can't do that. Those don't mix. Because you can't serve both God and money. 
Could it be, I'm just going to throw this out there, I'm going to get crazy this morning. Could it be that the reason why God allows recessions and God allows depressions is so that we will stop trusting in our jobs, in our paychecks, in our retirement, in our employer, and we start trusting in the God of the universe? Throw that out there, it's a little crazy, I know. You see, because all of us struggle with this. All of us do, myself included. That we, we have to stop trusting in administrations and political parties, whichever side of the aisle you vote on. We've got to start trusting in our retirement. We've got to stop trusting in all of that stuff. And we've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about this is this. In the Old Testament, people in the Old Testament, when things started going great for them and they started doing well financially, guess what? They started forgetting about God. But when things started going a little bit tough and their, their savings account started plummeting, or they said, savings account, what's that? Right? I mean, everybody goes back to God because, and this is a huge principle, guys. When things are going great, we kind of forget God. But when things start, when we start struggling, we run to God. And maybe that's the reason why God allows struggles in our life. Next verse. That is why. Which is why? That is why. Talking about the whole money thing. God is telling Chris, what's going to be my biggest competition in your life, God is telling me, is going to be money. It's going to be stuff. It's going to be things. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. If we focus on money, we start to worry about things that God never intended for us to worry about. If we get stressed and we hoard fear, we start... You start struggling. Look at, keep on reading. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. And then he asks this amazing question. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, Chris, your life is more than just the wonderful wardrobe worth of Crocs you have in the... Hey, they're coming back. All right. Um, ladies... Your wardrobe is doesn't determine your value. Do you know that? Or what type of handbag you have or own? Your shoes do not determine your self-worth. That's beautiful. We're coming to it. I'm, I'm going. All right. But see, and guys, your stuff, the car you drive, the boat that you want to drive, right? All the stuff, that doesn't determine your self-worth. Your life is more than all of that stuff. Jesus is saying, Chris and everybody here at One Church, your life is worth more than things and food and clothes. And then Jesus gives us an example. Look at this. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? I mean, think about it. Look at the birds. Birds don't plant. Birds don't harvest. Birds don't have gardens. Birds don't deposit stuff in bank accounts. Birds don't have 401ks. Right? What do birds do? Birds eat. They poop on your windshield. They make nests. All right? They, and usually after you've just washed your car, throw that out there, um, they, uh, they fly south for the winter. They fly north, and that's it. That's what birds do. In fact, look at what Jesus says about birds in Matthew chapter 10. He says this. 
What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? A penny? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing about it. And the very hairs of your head are numbered. Some of your hairs are decreasing. What are those next four words? Everybody say them with me. So don't be afraid. This is all skate morning. We've got to do that again. So don't be afraid. Why? Because you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You are valuable to God. Do you know that? God, what he, when he, at the end of the day, you know what he placed values on? He placed his value on you. In fact, you can always determine what something is worth by what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? Don't believe me? Go on eBay. Amazing, right? Do you want to know how much God paid for you and me? His own life. That's exactly right. He gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. You can tell of something of value by what you play, what you purchase it with. And he purchased it with his life that you have value. Going back to 627, next illustration. He says this, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What's the answer to that question? Nope. In fact, you know what worries do? Take some of your life away, right? I mean, you get ulcers and then you die. Again, thanks for coming. Wonderful encouragement, right? I mean, have you ever just, just said, you know, I sure am glad I worried about that. I mean, have I ever gotten up at 2.30 in the morning and spent four or five hours up, you know, bug-eyed, and going, I sure am glad I lost some sleep worrying about that. Anybody ever said that? I haven't. Because worry doesn't help it. Worry doesn't help the situation. This is so cool. Dude who wrote the Aesop's Fables, his name is Michael de Montaigne. He says this, My life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. (laughs) That is so true, guys. Ladies. Because we can worry about the what ifs and all of this stuff of what's possibly is going to happen, and most of it never happens. Remember Y2K? Anybody? I had friends who spent thousands of dollars on generators and bottled water, right? Uh, 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 you know, and uh, you know, and, and you know, and it's you know, the clock's ticking, and it's eleven fifty-eight, right? And the ball's dropping, and they think the world's falling, right? Eleven fifty-nine, and it, it turns midnight, and what happens? Mass chaos, right? Power went out. All of our bank accounts got wiped out because of Windows programs and all of that weird stuff. I mean, did any of that stuff happen? No, we were worried about nothing. And I, you know what, the great thing about I didn't buy all that generators and stuff because I had friends who did that. And I knew if things were going to get bad, I knew where they lived. <laughs> See, that's how I roll. That's all I'm saying. Or, okay, maybe Y2K. What, how, what do you do when, when it snows? Where do you go? Grocery store. What do you get at the grocery store? Bread and what else? Milk. What in the world are y'all going to do with bread and milk? Seriously. If it's a bad snowstorm and you don't have any power, what you going to do with that bread and milk? You going to soak the bread in the milk and then eat it? I mean, that ain't logical. Am, am I right? Our fears aren't logical. We do dumb things when we get scared. Dumb things. Dumb things. Because fear is never logical. It's an emotion. 
It's an emotion. In fact, it's an emotional outburst of unbelief. It's all about when we, when we worry, we say we don't have faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of worry. It is a feeling, and we do really messed up things when we start feeling that way. Jesus' other example, verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, we're going to talk about who that is, and all of his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. Solomon was one of the kings in the Old Testament and at the time was the wisest and the richest person who ever lived. And he's saying, even though, um, even though Solomon, you know, was the fishizzle and had all the rings, you know, and had the clock around his neck, you know, um, he, I mean, he had all of this wonderful wardrobe that Jesus saying the lilies of the field look better than he did. And then the point, look at this, verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. This is so cool. I was in Israel a little over 10 years ago. And um, I got there, and it was, it was it, in fact, let me just show you the picture. The Bible calls this terrain uh, right outside Jerusalem, the wilderness. You know, when we think of the wilderness, like when Jesus went to the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. Some of y'all may have been in church, went to Sunday school. This is what the wilderness is. And we think wilderness, we think a lot of trees, right? You know, we think like redwood forest in California, right? But that's not what the forest is. In Israel, the forest is, in Israel is like a pavement. It's, it's just rocks. But let me tell you something about this. For two weeks in the spring, it starts raining in Israel. And for those two weeks, let me, let me tell you what this transforms into. It transforms into, you see all of these wildflowers start popping up. See all those rocks? These wildflowers just start popping up. And for those two weeks that it rains, it starts popping up. And then the next week, it goes down a little bit. Then the next week is what it looks like. Boom. Now, what's amazing about this is God says in other, other places in the Bible, he describes our life like the wildflowers in the wilderness. That we last about two weeks. 14 days and we're about done. In fact, some of you, that's exactly how you're feeling. Because you're in that midlife crisis, right? You're going, I think I got more time behind me than there was ahead of me, right? And... Amazingly enough, the Bible says this, that if God takes notice of all those wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, then he says this and he finishes his thought. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly, what's that next word? Care for you. Do you know he cares for you? He, has, he sees you with great value and great worth. If he does, He's saying, if I do all these things for the lilies, the birds... The wildflowers, Jesus is saying, don't you think that in your hour of greatest need that I'm going to come through for you? I am going to come through for you. Then he says in verse 30, and if God cares for all of that stuff, why do you have so little faith? That's the point. You see, our worry and our fear is the exact opposite of faith. The exact opposite. And that is why we struggle so much. That's why I worry a lot, because I struggle with faith. And you're going, you're a preacher. You should have that one down. You would think, but I don't. Because just like you, I'm human. I'm just like you guys. I got mess in my life too that I struggle with. I struggle with. The issue is faith. The issue is control. I'll give you an example. 
the first three or four years in our marriage, my wife and I, we had a lot of discussions, i.e. fights, about money. We've been married 17 years, though, so we don't usually fight about money. Let me tell you what we do discuss, i.e. fight. When we both ride together in the same vehicle, dear Jesus. You know, I, I mean, I, I know Clarksville. I grew, I grew up here. I was born here. I left for 13 years, and I came back. So I know Clarksville. Um, my wife lived here for like 11 years. But, you know, when she says, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Governor's Square Mall. And the mall, oh, you need to take a right right here. You know, she knows how to get to the mall. Number one, there's only one mall, right? <laughs> and uh, number two, she's been here a while. Or for, when I'm driving, let me tell you, oh, I, I'm driving behind somebody. And this is what she goes. <laughs> All right. What that tells me. The expulsion of Aaron, her grabbing onto the oh my God handle, that's what we call it in our, in our truck, is you need to slow down and stop tailgating, right? Anybody else struggle with that? Thank you, all right? Counseling, this is what this is, people. Um, and, or, you know, uh, and we discuss my braking habits and, and, or my speed. If y'all are policemen. Um, so, in fact, I had somebody, for, after the first service, he, he said, you know, I saw you on the interstate and you passed me. Um, I, I was in the fast lane and I moved over because, you know, we talked the thing about anger a couple weeks ago and I didn't want to make you, you know, give me the California wave. So good times. Um, but, you know, the thing is, Kim wants to be in control when I'm driving and I want to be in control when Kim's driving because we would do it differently. And the issue is this. We don't trust God. We want to be in control. We don't think he's in control. And that is our big idea. Our big idea today is this. When we worry, we don't trust that God is in control. When we worry, what we're saying is we don't trust you, God, and we don't think that you're in control. Matthew 6, 31. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Jesus is saying when you choose to worry about all these other things, you're acting like people who don't believe in God. You're acting like people who don't have a relationship with God. Chris, when you wake up at 2.30 in the morning, even though you're the preacher, what you're acting like is somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God. Because what you're saying is, you don't trust me. Wow. Thanks for that one. Loved preparing for this sermon. Good times. All right. So, quick question. How many of y'all struggle with worry? Let me see your hands. Okay. Thank you. H- how do we stop worrying? Because let me tell you, I don't know either. (laughs) Somebody teach me. You know, I mean, have you ever told your spouse or maybe something, you just need to stop worrying? Does that ever help? It don't help me, right? I mean, I'll wake up at 2.30 in the morning and say, I just need to stop worrying. That's helpful. Helpful. Well, you know, and i got to be honest with you, what I'm sharing with you, I I have not, I'm sharing what the Bible has to say. I'm not saying I have... uh, I have got this down yet. I'm still learning like you guys. But let me tell you some of the stuff that I have done that's helped me because I am getting a lot better. I am getting a lot better. The first thing is this. How do you conquer worry? The first thing is you, you got to do what God tells you to do. You got to do what God tells you to do. Let me tell you what some of us are at. Some of us, God tells us to do stuff, and this is what we do. Well, all right, God. Well, well if you really want me to do that, then you're going to make me do it. Right? It's like this somebody who's unemployed. All right. You want to get a job? Yeah, I want to get a job. Cool. All right. Fantastic. What are you doing to get a job? Um, 
You got your resume out? No. Okay. Are you out hanging out and networking with people? Uh-uh. Okay. Um, are you going to like any job fairs? Uh-uh. Let me know how that goes for you, right? Uh, some of y'all, y'all are single and you want to get married. All right. Ask you a question. Have you brushed your teeth? <laughs> Guys, do you wear deodorant? Throw that out there. It's a beach ball. Anybody can hit it. I mean, you ask, you ask a single guy, you want to get married? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. What are you doing about that? Um, are you like, uh, like networking? You're meeting people? Uh-uh. I'm, ex- I'm just praying that Jesus will bring her to me. Uh-huh. All right? Are, 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 like, are you like getting out from behind your computer, your Xbox, and actually talking with live people? Uh-uh. All right? <laughs> That's called shallow end of the gene pool thinking, and you won't propagate. Throw that out there, all right? You're going to be single forever because there's some things that God's not going to do for you. Some things God's not going to do for you. He tells you to do it so that you will do it. In fact, look at what James chapter 1 verse 22 says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but what? Do. Do what it says. That's what he's saying is this. There's some things, you know what? God is going to do what only he can do, but he's going to ask you to move. He's going to ask you to move and start taking that step and then taking another step. And he's going to show you further down the line, but you have to move. You have to move. So do what God asks you to do. The second one is this. Give God what you cannot do. Give God what you cannot do. Look at this. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says this. Don't what? Isn't that helpful? Don't worry. In fact, if Jesus was like here today and he was writing a song, he'd probably write a song like, don't worry, be happy, man, right? If he was Jamaican. Don't worry about what? Anything. Instead, now that may be a key, guys. That may be a key to not worrying. Could it be? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. There is a lot there. Keep that on. Oh, that's, that's just good. So you pray, you tell God what you need, and then you thank him for what he has. We're going to talk about that. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's. You know what? When you worry, do you know what it steals from you? Peace. I know. It steals peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what I do when I wake up at 2.30 in the morning. When I wake up at 2.30 in the morning, I usually go downstairs and I start praying because I got nothing else to do. I can't fix stuff. And I say, God, I'm doing what you have called me to do. I am moving. But God, I am trusting you for what I cannot do. I trust you and I pray. And then you know what I do with all the stuff that's just churning in me that I'm struggling with? I write it down. I journal. I type it. I write it. I do all this. And let me tell you the reason why. In fact, go back to that verse 6 if you would, Cindy. This has got some good stuff in it. It says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he has. You see, the reason why I write this stuff down is because fear makes us forgetful. Fear makes you and me forgetful. We forget that God's track record is 100%. And in the midst of our fear, we think, we, we don't, I don't think God could do it. I just, I, 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 we, just, we forget that God is in control and that he is trustworthy. It makes us forgetful. 
So I write it all down. And you know what? Amazingly enough, <laughs> that, you know, three months later when I start worrying again, I pull up that same document and, and I date them. And I'm like, I was worrying about that three months ago. I hadn't thought about that. You know why? Because God took care of it. And if I can look back and thank him for what he's done, then maybe just might. I can trust him for the things I'm struggling with today. So what do you do? You do what God has called you to do. Then you give God only what he can do. Only he can fix it. You pray about it. You write it down because our fear makes us forgetful. And the third and last thing is this. You, no matter what happens, no matter what happens with the circumstance, what happens with the situation, you trust God. Jesus ends it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and he says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus is saying you make God your first priority, and you will have nothing to worry about. You will have nothing to worry about. It's like this. This is an illustration. I'm just thinking of this. If you're in the army and you're on the front lines, all right, and, I mean, the general has you exactly where you need to be, exactly where you need to be. I mean, you're at the brunt of the battle, and this battle is going to determine the war. Do you think that general is going to give you everything you need to be able to win that battle? You betcha. And see, that is exactly what God is saying. You put me first in everything, and I will give you what you need. I will give you what you need. And then Jesus closes the last verse. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Anybody want to say, I agree with that one? You and me both, friend. You and me both. All right, let me ask, answer some of your questions. Um, this is what uh, some of you have... Uh, you said, what is the big idea, please? Can we put that big idea up there? All right, when we worry, we don't trust that God is in control. All right, here's a, here's a good one. I've always heard worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere in the end. That's good. Uh, and uh, this person continues, my husband is the king of worry, especially about starting a family and having the finances to do so. What can I tell him because I know that God will provide when we honor him with children? That's a great question. Great question. Let me say this. Um, twofold. Um, your husband, the Bible calls him the leader of your home. Um, so one of the things I would encourage you to do is to follow your husband's lead. Now, I know that can be very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. But I would, I would definitely follow his lead on this. But I would also have some conversations with him as well about this. And say, you know, honey, darling, this is what I feel. This is where I feel like God is moving me. Um, he's given me a longing to be a mom. And the truth of the matter, and I think all the parents in here, in fact, how many of y'all are parents? Let me see you. All right, cool. Um, all the parents in here would tell you this, that if you waited to have all the money you needed to have children... We would have no children's ministry here at one church. <laughs> because uh, now th there are sometimes, you know, you, you need to be in better financial positions than others, you know. Um, but if you wait until you have everything that you need and all of your bills paid, um, you're going to be like Abraham and Sarah. 
uh, you're going to be 80 and 90 going, it's time. <laughs> and then that's when she's going to say, get off me. Get back. <laughs> All right. All right. Any other questions? Any other questions for today? Oh, yeah, we got some more. Um, what if God tells us to do something that is not good? That's a great question. Now, let me tell you. Quick question. Is God good? He is. Now, hear me. If God is good, then he's not going to tell you to do something that's not good. Let, let me say this. Some of you, I'll give you an example. Some of you are saying, you know, I feel like God is calling me to move in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. That's what God's calling me to do. I can tell you, uh-uh. Because God's word says that how this should happen between a man and a wife is through marriage. It's not called test drive, right? Throw that out there, all right? He says, this is the way. And now hear me. Some of you, you may be getting mad now because maybe that you're in that relationship. And hear me, I'm not here to offend you. But I am here to tell you that God's word says it this way for a reason. And it's not because he doesn't want you to have fun. God's never, ever going to tell you to do something that's going to contradict his word or to contradict his character. And if he is good, he will always tell you to do something that's good. Now, it may be hard. I'm going to tell you that. It may be very difficult. Very difficult. And there may be repercussions. But in the end, I promise you, it will be good. It will be good for you. All right, the second one is this. Explain he will provide what you need and not what you may want. That's a good question. All right, now let me tell you, a lot of people, if you turn on the television and you see, you know, the televangelist with the bad hair, you know, what they're going to preach to you is this, that if you put God first, then he's going to give you your Beamer or your Lexus. And if you send in $1,000 for your prayer hanky, you know, then he's going to have his, right? I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this. There is a huge difference between want and need. You want to know the difference between want and need? Visit a third world country. Visit a third world country. Some of you, you're soldiers and you just got back. And you know how people are living over there. Right? Some of you, you've been on mission trips. You've been to China. You've been to Russia. You've been to Africa. And there's a huge difference. And it's amazingly, they don't have televisions. They don't have Playstations. They don't have phones. But they, many times, have more faith in God than the preacher of a church does. So there's a huge difference between a want and a need. Huge difference. All right? Let me give you another one. Um, all right, uh, one more. Uh, this one says, A child took his toy to his father. This sounds like a story. Right. A child took, his father to, uh, child took his toy to his father and asked him to help fix it. He waited impatiently and snatched it back and is saying he was uh, taking too long to fix it. The father said, My child... What could I do you never did let go of the toy? How often do we lay our problems at God's feet and never really let go and letting God have it? Whoever sent this, y'all want to come up and preach? That was good. That was good. And i got to be honest with you, that's exactly, I think, how many of us are at. You know, this is what we do. We give God our issues and our problems. We give it to Him. Okay, I want it back. You're not fixing it, right? You're not fixing it. You're taking too long. And that is where worry and that is where fear is born. Let's pray. With all of our eyes looking down, nobody looking around, would anybody just 
just get really real this morning and say, you know what, I hoard fear, and I'm struggling with fear. Anyone besides me? Say, will you please pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people, hands going up all over the place. You see, yours may be finances, but you know what? It may not be. It may be that you fear a spouse never coming home again. Maybe from a deployment or maybe he or she is home, but are they going to come back tonight? Some of you, your greatest fear and what you worry about is your child who just keep, keeps on running from you and keeps on running from God and doing his or her own thing. God, I pray for every one of us, and I pray for me, because I put myself in that boat. I hoard fear, God. I struggle with it. And Lord, just saying stop worrying doesn't fix the problem. But at the end of the day, it is a faith issue. It is a control issue. And God, this pastor needs more faith. But amazingly enough, your word says... If you just have faith as small as a little bitty tiny seed, you can move great mountains. Lord, you give us faith. And I pray that you would allow that faith, that small faith that I have and that many of us have in this room, Lord, that you would allow that small seed of faith to grow to something bigger. Let it grow to faithfulness, God. And that, Lord, that we would start doing what you call us to do. Lord, that you would allow us to give the things to you that we cannot control and we actually let go of those toys and ask you to fix it. And Lord, at the end of the day, that no matter what happens, that we will trust you. Lord, I know there's some people in here today that they, just, not, they don't need, just need to trust you with stuff or people. They need to trust you with a relationship with you, God. Because they don't know where they're going to spend eternity. And Lord, I pray for those people today. Lord, I pray that they would be able to just come clean with you and they would pray a prayer similar to this one, just to themselves. God, I need you. I need your help. I need you to come into my heart and my life. I need you to just take all of this junk out of my heart, the fear, the anger, the bitterness, all of this stuff, this sin, these bad habits, these bad attitudes. And Lord, I pray that you would take it all away, God, and I pray that you would give me your goodness. You would give me your grace. If you prayed that prayer this morning, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, the Bible says, are being made new. And if you've done that this morning, I pray that you would take out your connect card on the bottom of your bulletins, and you would put your name on there. You would say, I began a relationship with Jesus, or I'm interested in beginning that relationship. And Lord, I pray for all of us, God, Lord, that we would put not only our Sunday mornings in your hands, but our Mondays too, and our Tuesdays, and our Thursdays, and our Saturdays. For it's in Jesus' name.